We return this morning to our study of the book of James, and so I invite you to turn with me there once again. If you're with us this morning for the first time, we have been studying uh, verse by verse, uh, paragraph by paragraph, this great letter uh, that James, the brother of Jesus, we believe, wrote to the first century church and has been preserved for us by the Holy Spirit. God breathed and preserved. As you're turning there, I want to remind you that next week as Trinitas comes and joins us, we're going to be putting pause, we're going to hit him pause on this study, and uh, we're going to be looking at one of the uh, great foundational truths that sparked uh, the historical event of the Reformation, and so we'll be uh, talking about that, taking a break from our study of the book of James. Before I read um, our passage for this morning, I want you to just look back with me at uh, verses 26 and 27 of chapter 1. Um, we've already looked at those verses, but I just want to remind them of, remind you of them. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, again, there are Bibles on the back cart uh, that you can uh, grab and take home or just follow along in your insert. Chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Those of you who have been here for weeks know that we went through that, those verses but I wanted to remind you of them because they serve as very much uh, a summary statement of James's letter and, and a hinge verse in many ways of what James is, is really honing in on uh, concerning God's people and concerning how faith, what faith looks like in the life of God's people. Verse 26, faith or religion that shows itself through speech right? Through how we talk. Verse 27, faith shows itself as it cares for the fatherless, as it cares for the widow, as it cares for the poor. Verse 27, faith that shows itself unstained from the world. And we've already looked in chapter 2 largely at that, that care for the poor. That was kind of James' extrapolation of, of partiality, of prejudice, of caring for the poor, preferring one over another. In chapter 4, which we'll get to, we're going to look more closely at what, what is worldliness? What does it look like to be unstained from the world? That's chapter 4. And then chapter 3, where we are today, is diving deeper into the use of our tongues. And so all three components, our tongues, our care for the poor, and our holiness those three things are the things that, that James is kind of hovering around about, and, and uh, this morning we are looking specifically at that second thing, uh, use of our tongues. These are the works of faith, if you were here last week, the works of faith that James was referring to. Today's passage is probably the most familiar passage to you in the book of James. You've heard this many times if you've grown up in the church my encouragement to you, as is my exhortation encouragement, whenever we hit a passage that's really familiar, is don't let the familiarity of God's Word rob you this morning 
from letting it do its work. James has already said that the word is, well, he used the illustration of a mirror. Sometimes we look in a mirror, we turn around, we forget what we look like, even though we just looked in the mirror. And that's absurd. And the word of God we talked about is a mirror. It's showing us ourselves. And so, yes, you've heard these verses, but the Lord's holding up a mirror again and saying, look at yourself again. Just look at yourself, both corporately and individually. Listen and follow along as I read. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Listen as I read. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring Pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This well, let's get right into it. I want to remind you this morning of three truths about your tongue about your mouth, about your speech. I suspect you know these things, but God knows how forgetful you are, especially in those mundane moments of life, in traffic, when you're impatient, when you've been wronged, and I could go on and on. The first one is this, your words really matter. Your words really matter. Now, I think it's important to begin here. It's important to say this because we've just come from a week. Those of you who were here last week, we've just come from a passage where we were talking about about the cheapness of our words, right? About how we are to be more than just talk, especially in regards to our faith. But lest you think that words are merely disposable, The talk is cheap. 
James now wants to vividly remind you that your words matter. And he begins to do that by making a statement about the seriousness of our words. By warning you to think carefully before you teach. Now, what's James doing here? Well, teachers, you see, make a living with their mouths. And it's not just mouths in our modern era, is it? It's pens and, and keyboards which produce books and blogs and, and tweets and posts, and they all contain words, words that matter and words that will be judged with greater strictness. Whoa. We hear that word judged, and maybe some of you take pause. Because I think sometimes there's a misunderstanding about the teaching of Scripture. This is a kind of a sidebar discussion, but it's vitally important. Because some of you may think that at the end of all things, when Jesus returns, that there is no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's not true. There is no judgment for sin. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for sin. But there will be judgments. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Jesus said, to whom much is given, much will be required. The fruit of our lives reveals not only the state of our hearts, but the measure of our reward. In regards to teaching, in regards to teachers, our words will be examined carefully as to their truthfulness, as to their faithfulness, as to their effect on their hearers. Because you see, teachers, they don't keep words to themselves. No, they proclaim words. They plant words in the lives of learners. And those words bring about change in the lives of those learners. And James says, be careful, because words matter. For us as church leaders, this is sobering. For me, who stands up here every week and speaks words, this is sobering. Hebrews 13, 17, the writer speaks of obeying your leaders because they keep watch over you as men who must give an account. I can't tell you how many times I have been humbled by that verse. Our words matter. More could be said, but that's a, a sermon for another day. Just hear the sober warning, warning about teaching, about the power of our words. And this is not just for teachers. He begins there, but this is, this is not for teachers. There is not one person in this room who doesn't struggle who doesn't fail in the use of your words. Our words matter because they have power. And I want to go back just a, just a little bit 
to make sure we understand this. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. In the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. It is speaking, it is words that serves as one of the things that sets us apart from all the rest of creation. Our speech is is an image-bearing quality of our Maker who speaks. God spoke and things happened. God pronounced something good and it was good. God blessed, it was blessed. And reflecting his creator, Adam then gave names to all the living creatures, and what Adam called them were their names. You see, unlike every other creature that wanders around this planet, we are creatures who need words. We are creatures who speak words. It's one of our image-bearing qualities. Not too long ago, I saw a little 60 Minutes blurb uh, on a California prison called Pelican Bay. And it's controversial because Pelican Bay had one of these, um, they called them SHU, S-H-U units. It's a, um, I wish I remember the acronym, but it's basically solitary confinement. And for 21 to 24 hours a day, these criminals who did something would be in these cells alone. And they'd be let out into a, a small little courtyard, and, but they'd be alone for days upon days upon days. And, and these, are, these are men who deserve to be in prison. These are vile criminals, and yet it was deemed that this was this was torture. And I thought, how interesting. Why is it torture? Because they need words. They need human interaction. It's part of who they are as human beings. Our words are never meaningless. They, they do something, whether good or harm. They have a direction to them. And that, that I think, is what verse 9 in our passage is getting at is that our words were intended to give life, and instead we let them produce death. There was a time when our words were pure, where Adam and Eve said everything that needed to be said. And then the serpent came in, and what did he use in order to create havoc in our world? He used words. Did God actually say? He questioned God's word. And our first parents doubted what God said. They believed the lie. They plunged us into ruin. And now we have to be careful, so careful what we say. Our words now, as a result of that fall, they show an incredible inconsistency. Between the God that we worship, the God that we were created to reflect, and the shape of our hearts and the shape of the words that come out of our mouths. Verses 11 and 12, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. There's this inconsistency. James wants to say, 
our words matter. And he gives us these vivid illustrations of the power of our words. The image of a bit, the image of a rudder, two things that when you think about the size of them compared to the thing that they guide, it's almost incomparable. James is saying there is a mastery of life that can come if we can, can learn to control these little things. Brothers and sisters, don't minimize what you say. Words matter. Words have a direction. Words have power. That's the first simple thing to consider and meditate on this morning. The second is this, your words wound. Your words wound. You see, it's not just that our words matter, it is that they, the tongue, as James calls it, is a fire. A world of unrighteousness, verse 6 says. Now, I recognize that for so many of you in this room, I don't even need help making this point, that words wound. Because so many of you bear the scars of fires that have been set ablaze in your hearts by those around you. Deep wounds from words spoken to you or words withheld from you. Before moving here, you all know that we lived in Southern California for 11 years, and one of the things I hated most about Southern California living was the occasional wildfire that would happen this time of the year. And we lived in California in 2003 through the Cedar Fire, one of the largest fires in recorded history. It burned 280,000 acres and 2,200 homes, and it was awful ash falling from the sky, an orange glow in the distance, most of life shut down in San Diego. This incredible fire started by a hunter who had lost his way and had lit a small signal fire in the brush, hoping that he would be found. James brings this, this big things can come from small beginnings. This mass destruction can come from something so small with an illustration of fire. It's a fire that we talked about. It began in the Garden of Eden. It began at the beginning of every, excuse me, it began at the beginning of time and it still smolders in the life of every human heart. Our words wound. And, and why do they wound? Well, because we constantly, brothers and sisters, are engaged in a battle between the kingdom of self and the kingdom of God. This is at the core of our battle with our mouths, because it's a battle that begins in our hearts. Because remember, when words come out, Jesus says, they reveal what is on the inside. Our problem with our speech is ultimately a problem with our hearts, for out of the mouth, excuse me, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus says in Luke 6. And so in order, if you, if you believe 
and I think you do, that your words matter. If you've been reminded of that this morning, if you've been reminded that your, wound, your words wound, they have the power to burn and to wreak havoc and destruction upon those that they, that they go to, then what do we do? Well, we begin with our hearts. Our hearts must be changed. The gospel of Jesus Christ must be internalized by us. A heart redeemed and living from gospel freedom, striving to love others before itself, to love God above all things, to seek His kingdom and not its own. Because our words, at the end of the day, our words reveal what we worship. Words don't just come out as a result of circumstances that we are a part of. I'm going to read an excerpt that I read to you years ago. One of the great explanations, I think, of this. This is a quote. I don't even remember where this is from. I could probably find it, but I don't have it here on my notes. Our words reflect our attempt to get what we want or frustrations when we fail. A husband yells at his wife when she is taking too long to get ready. A mom yells at her daughter over her messy room, or a son complains that his clothes make him look like a geek. A toddler throws a fit when he does not get to visit his favorite toy store, or a father blows up because he can't find his newspaper. All of this communication focuses on the physical world and flows out of hearts that worship and serve creation more than the Creator. It subtly deifies the creation and forgets the Creator's will and glory. God's agenda in these moments is fundamentally spiritual. He will permit situations because He wants our heart sins to be revealed because we need to see them in order to repent. And so, if I were to ask, as I've been forced to ask myself this week, if I were to ask, if we played back your words, your conversations this week, what would they reveal? Boastful words, angry words, quarrelsome words, we'll get to that in James chapter 4, you desire and you do not have, he says, that's a big one. Vulgar words, words that stretch the truth, gossiping speech. James reminds us to recognize not only the power of our words to wound, but that the battle is inside of our hearts. Ultimately, James tells us that the tongue can't be tamed. So is there hope? Well, there is hope. Yes, the tongue cannot be ultimately tamed, but you have been given power to repent, to fight your failings, to engage the enemy who speaks lies. 
And that's the last thing I want us to think about. Your mouth was made to bless. Your mouth was made to bless. Your words matter. Your words wound. But your mouth was made to bless. People in our day and age are finding this this fact out. Not necessarily that point, but the, the fact of representation. What I mean by that is professional athletes are, are tweeting things and getting fined as a result of being tweeted or as a result of tweeting something or saying something in an interview. Why? Because they represent an organization. People are being fired from their jobs because of this age of, of social media and the power of words. Our words, as I said, are tied to the image of God. Our words need to be redeemed. He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but we live for Him. We speak for Him. That's who we represent. And so our mouths are not our own. They have been bought at a price. And too easily we forget this and we forget the power of our words. And so we wield them around haphazardly. But they are made to bless, greatly bless. And these are the great things that that James speaks of in verse 5. These are the great things that can be boasted in. And it begins, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, it begins by talking less. And when you do talk, be slow to speak. You've heard the old adage, God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. The book of Proverbs, we've already looked at a bunch of these. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. Whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Ephesians 4.29 Reminds us that all of our words are for the purpose of building up. Proverbs eleven twenty five: Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. The one who waters will himself be watered. Love for God, love for the gospel, love for others means that you will strive to think before you speak, and that when you do speak, you will ask, "What does this person need?" Rebuke, maybe. Words of encouragement, maybe. Maybe no words at all. Maybe just listening. Maybe words directed at God. Let me simply pray for you. Let me simply pray with you. It's estimated that the average person has at least 30 conversations a day with 25,000 words spoken every day. What are those words doing? James challenges us this morning. Is the aroma of Christ being left through the words that we speak? Because remember, our words matter. Our words wound. And ultimately, they were made to bless May we have the grace to reflect our Maker.
because we all want to hear words at the end. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you are a speaking God who spoke this world into being, who speaks even today through your word. And Father, as those who reflect your image in this, we confess that we have failed. I confess that I have failed. Father, I pray that you would give us grace to speak words of life, words different than the world around us, words that attract and and draw and bring life to the shadows. Oh, Father, take this word, plant it deep in our hearts. Once again, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.